Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome, everyone, to this third episode of Fishology. For those of you who may be new here in Fishology, we give an in-depth look at Marlins players with advanced stats and metrics. I'm joined here today with Lewis and Adam as we are going to be talking about some of the Marlins rookie hitters, specifically Charles Blanc, J.J. Bleday, and Nick Fortes. Guys, are you ready? How are you guys feeling for this? Excited. Um, interesting adjective for me to use considering the state of the Marlins offense and being that these are all position players, but the conversation needs to be had, right? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So with the first guy I wanted to talk about, let's go with, uh, probably the best guy, maybe out of the three from this season, Nick Fortes, backup catcher for the Marlins, um, had a 1.3 war season, had nine home runs. His slash line was 230, 304, 392 with a 696 OPS. Um, get offensively, miles above Jacob Stallings. Um, the Marlins were still skittish on putting him there with Sandy. Um, Lewis, I know you have the stats of him, how he was defensively, how he fared with catch with the uh, excuse me, the pitchers for the Marlins and the ERA. What can you tell me about Nick Fortes this season? So I think me and Adam will probably ping pong on this just as far as the conversation with him and these guys goes uh, um, for those listening. You know, I kind of was sitting today when I was at my desk in my office getting notes together for what Fortes' future with the club and I guess as a big leader would hold. And I guess the conclusion I came to, and again, you know, every big league team meets two catchers, so you always have to assess the other guy um, when assessing the other, with that in mind, I think Fortes has done enough, albeit his sample of play is merely 86 career games, that I think it wouldn't 
be the worst idea in the world if the Marlins kind of just gave him the keys to the primary catching car and said, this is your job. Stallings would be the backup. He's not without his faults. I think maybe, you know, play discipline is something that could be better for him. He is pretty aggressive on the first pitch, though the sample of at-bats, the 39 plate appearances in which he has swung first pitch, or at least he's, you know, had an outcome result from a first pitch. He's hit 324 to 927 OPS, so he's been productive early. That being said, the big concern I have with him, and this gets back to the plate discipline issue I have, and something I talk about a lot when I talk about players, is his approach with two strikes. There were 381 hitters this year that had at least 100 plate appearances um, of two or more of two strikes in account when a, an additional pitch was thrown. And of the 381 hitters, Ortiz's 403 OPS in those at bats ranked 318th. Oof. Bottom of the ninth inning, 2-2 count. How sweep it is in Miami. What a ninth inning for the Braves. Yeah, now it's not the most tell it's not the most telling stat considering that he really doesn't have a full season. Let's say about he maybe has like 40%, maybe like 50% if a little bit more of a full season of games under his belt as a catcher. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's adjustments that can be be made. However, I think there's enough there that you wouldn't feel too bad about giving him the ability to play every day or at least three of the five games they would play a week, hypothetically six, four to the six. Um, pitching ERA, as far as how pitchers yeah. do with him, the biggest adjustment you have to think of, because obviously, I think at this point, we can all agree that Sandy Alcantara is the best pitcher on the team, if not one of the three best in the National League. Um, you could pick and choose those three however you like. But Fortes has never caught Alcantara, and of course you want to have your franchise player, which I believe Alcantara is at this point, you want him to be happy. So maybe there's a David Ross, John Lester thing that goes on there where Stallings, who caught every inning that Alcantara threw this season, keeps the um, keeps that relationship with Sandy going as his personal catcher. But I look at the overall numbers, and you know while Stallings was somewhat of a defensive liability, um, as noted by his DRS and um, the fact that I believe he posted a negative D-war this year, the difference in ERA isn't that telling. I mean, obviously the sample is a lot bigger with songs because he caught a majority of the games. But uh, catcher's ERA, uh, the ERA of pitchers when said catcher was catching, Cortez is at 396. Not horrible, but also not great. And Stallings is at 378. Definitely something more acceptable, especially when you can't score runs the way that this team has shown an ability to do. You obviously side with the lower and you'd be sacrificing offense. But I think... You know, Adam, counter me if I'm wrong, and Danny, I want you to impart on this too. Ooh. I think the additional offense you could get from Fortes could maybe offset some of that. It wouldn't offset all yeah. of it. But I think maybe if Fortes establishes relationships with um, guys like Lazardo, who I believe had a sub 3-6 ERA with him this season. Called strike three inside corner. 11 Ks for Luzardo. We know of his rapport with Braxton Garrett and the success that he had in 2022. That's something to keep note of. But I think offensively, you know, you're not going to sacrifice the glove, but it'd be nice to have for them to have pr- um, consistent production out of the catching position. And that's something they didn't have for the most part when Stallings was playing this year. 
for me, it's just it, it narrows down to a couple of things with the Marlins. And obviously, we've seen this revolving door, right? In the past, ever since Real Muto was gone, we had Alfaro who replaced him immediately. We have Stallings, we have Fortes, and none of them have really like answered the call as to be the main catcher for the organization, right? Right now, it's more of a committee. Uh, we see with Stallings and uh, Fortes, but I do agree with you, Lewis, that I think it should be one guy's job to kind of run with it next year, especially when we kind of want to get an idea of who's going to be the franchise catcher. And at this point, I really don't think, I really don't see it to be Jacob Stallings just simply because he's got like, what, two more years of team control. And even though he had a good 2021 in Pittsburgh, I I can see him potentially rebounding this year, but I just don't see him as a long-term fit, especially with the age too, you know? Just to kind of get into the nuts and bolts about Fortes. Like I mentioned, I do agree that he should be the starter next year just because he's He's got more of a Marlin in him because he's going to be here for longer with the team control. Uh, just kind of looking under the hood with Fortez. Oh, sorry, actually, start defensively. So it hasn't been that great this year. He had about, of all, according to Savon, of all catchers who had about 1,500 pitches at least, so if, if they call that many. Um, he ranks 28th out of 44 qualified catchers in catching framing runs, which I hate this stat because it just tells you how good of a cheater you are because framing is technically cheating but it's like it's it's, it's still irrelevant to our today to today's game um even so he still ended up in the 72nd percentile in framing and 79th among pop time to second base among all catchers so there is cause for to be optimistic for the future and i am excited about fortez to be the you know the long-term guy this year was his first real shot at the bigs um, he had, he played pretty well. Like you mentioned, he had a league average slash line at a hundred, hundred WRC plus amongst all hitters in major league baseball this year, which if you remember from previous episodes, that just means, you know, how much better are you? It's just the best kind of rate stat that we have to kind of quantify best hitters in baseball. So looking kind of more, you know, concretely, he has a very, very good, uh, chase rate, which means he has a good discipline. He's picking out his balls and strikes at the play pretty well. And he's hovering around a 90%. I always like to bring this up because it really gives you a good idea of just how um, intelligent and how disciplined of a hitter this guy is, or any guy could be for that matter. So him hovering around the 90% mark and really just below 30% with with the chase percentage is something to be happy looking forward for the 2023 years. And to go along with that, he does have some pretty enticing stat cast numbers, I will say. So looking at his max EV from this year, it was 80, it was 89 miles an hour. The year before, it was 91. But he did have a higher max EV this year. And his, length, his launch angle is kind of more geared to uh, hit more line drives and lift rather than it is just to hit ground balls. He's hitting the ball um, much better this year. Fortes, left field, gives it a ride. Brown can't make that one. Solo home run, Nick Fortes. That's major. That is major. Tying the game on the home run just over the left field wall. Nick Fortes is having a wonderful season. Doing an outstanding job behind the plate today and comes up with a big, big hit too. And I think he's going to be—he's he's going to be a great player. And I think he—he te- he could definitely be a maybe a three or four-win player if all works wow. out. I, th- I think four might be tough, but I think that's like a very high upside for him. I, I do like Fortes quite a bit. I think he's an advanced hitter behind the plate, and you know, coupled with the fact that he is a catcher, that this defensive premium position, he'll be putting up two to three if he's healthy. And if all goes well, he could be a four-win player. And not to mention the fact that he is an above-average runner. I mean, you look at the um, pop. 
obviously the above average pop time that you noted, his ability to be um, a decent framer, which again, we and talking to him this season, something he emphasized to, you know, the likes of me, Noah, and, you know, many of the other Fish Drive staff and the other writers that covered the Marlins this year is that defense was something he prioritized this offseason mm -hmm. um, heading into 2022. And the early returns were good on it. And the overall numbers, I think, slightly reflect that. I mean, one thing we didn't even talk about is his ability as a, as a base runner. I mean, you can look at the advanced metrics and come up with a more conclusive um, conclusion. But if you look at 63rd percentile sprint speed for a catcher, you know, that's impressive. Obviously, he's not real Muto, but um, and and this may come off as somewhat of a hyperbole, but you could say that he's real Muto light in his ability to hit for power and in his ability to be an above average runner at the position in which he um, occupies. Yeah, and Lewis, to hop off here real quick. I mean, he did have those nine dingers this year in just 72 games. Uh, obviously, catchers aren't going to play the full 150, 155 season, right? They're going to be hovering around that 130, maybe 140 range if they're the Ironman guys. Uh, that's what. Um, but if he if he's if he's doing 140 games a year, which you know we'll see, uh, that equates to around 20 home runs a year. And and I I will say with the ex Woba and the Woba, he wasn't really getting like it wasn't that he was dogging his way to a high like batting average, kind of like a DLC you saw this year, last year, and especially this year. Um, but or it might have been last year, especially not maybe not this year, but. Regardless, my point is that Fortes is a safe bet because his hitting is concrete and it's not something that he's just kind of BSing his way through. Um, so he could, and especially like as he continues to get better, this was his full somewhat, it wasn't even a full year. So he's still slugging under 400, but as he continues to kind of amp that up, work the, you know, he is a somewhat of an intelligent hitter as he continues to amp that up and improve that. That's where I kind of see the three to four win value. It, it is optimistic and it is kind of reaching, but I think two to three is safe, four is the high end. Yeah, and you just mentioned like his home runs. I was going to bring that up. They signed all these guys to want power bats, and then they have it in the organization with Nick Fortes at a catcher, which is a premium position for the Marlins, which they do not really have that many of in the organization. If you can have someone like that hit anywhere from maybe 20 home runs, 22, and if you double just all his numbers now, it'll be around 18 home runs. And I think the Marlins will take that and sacrifice maybe if there are some limitations around his defense or anything like that and would you guys want that from nick fortez you think he has the potential to be someone um offensively that can give you maybe 20 25 home runs if you play him 140 145 um i think giving the ability to dh maybe even spot some days at first base although i seldom see that happening as far as first base goes i think he can run into a few more home runs because he has the ability and he has a veteran installings who can handle some of those games even if he only catches 100 games a year and say he gets 20 or so starts at DH, you know, 120 to 125 games from a primary catcher is not bad. And then you you want to talk about home runs. If you look at the expected home run metrics on Savant, um, site that Adam previously just referenced, 18 of the 30 ballparks actually say that he would have over he would have hit more home runs with a oh, ballpark wow. like Cincinnati. Although we know Great American is a, uh, a big hitters park. Mm -hmm. said that based on his batted ball profile, he should have hit 15 home runs this year playing, you know, his games in, since, in uh, Great American. But, yeah, I mean, like, there's so there's a lot more, I think, that you can like about him for what he is in the position that he plays. You want a little bit more. I don't think you're going to get, you know, real Muto-esque numbers consistently, but that isn't to say he won't be a productive big leaguer, and I think that's what he should be, and he will should be a lot of the opportunity to, to be that. Yeah. 
And I think with that is a perfect time to move on to our next rookie hitter. We we had Fortez, we did Fortez, and now we're going to move on to Mr. Jordan Groshans, who was in the deal in the trade deadline for the Marlins for Zach Pop. Anthony Bass was a part of it. Um, Groshans played only 17 games, having 65 plate appearances. So sample size is minimum at best. Um, and But if you look at the slash line, 262, 308, 311, 619 and OPS plus of 77. Um, Lewis, um, how can how do you go about just looking at a guy who's played less than 20 games, um, 61 at bats? How, how do you analyze someone like that and maybe him in the future for the Marlins? Uh, I mean, I had this discussion. I think me and um, Adam were pretty mutual and mutual agreeance in terms of how we kind of profile the return that the Marlins got. For the trade that sent uh, Zach Pop and Anthony Bass to Toronto, I, I just talked about with Stallings that you have to tamper expectations for what you're going to get out of a player relative to their position as we kind of just have these assumptions that people who play a certain position are expected to, maybe too aggressive of a word, to produce at a, certain, at a level that we find acceptable. I don't think Roshans will ever grow into 20 homer power. But, again, look at the minor league track record. He's deficient in power, but his ability to get on base at a consistent clip. I mean, he's a career 366 OBP guy in the minors. And then we saw what he's capable of, obviously, in Buffalo, in Jacksonville when he came over. 31 games, he had an 814 OPS. You know, he hit a little bit. He hit two home runs. But, again, like, whatever power you get from him is just kind of like icing on top of a good hitter. I think he's just a good and will be a good big league hitter. Whether he's hitting seven home runs or he's hitting two, like, or 10. It's at the end of the day, like, if he can consistently get on base and be a table setter, which I expect him to be, although he's not the fastest guy. So that does kind of make me think that he'd be more of like a lower end of the lineup kind of guy. I am totally okay with that. But again, I don't think um, the saying a walk is as good as a hit will ever be in, um, not in vogue because I just think it's really important to work a pitcher. I mean, you can get a base hit on one pitch and be a race on a double play. It, it at least takes four pitches for you to walk. So there's something that can be said about guys who have that plate discipline. Um, just kind of like, yeah, I could not be like totally more with you on Groshans in terms of just kind of what he brings to the table, right? And part of what I was saying that it was a decent trade and we kind of had to do it is because, you know, we had pop, like, you know, a surplus of pitchers and the, the year and a half keep control of Bass. And part of the discussion that, you know, they really did their due diligence in trying to get something. And I think that they could have done better. They probably would have, right? They didn't just wait till the last second to shop guys around. Um, I'm sure they were asking a lot of clubs about Bass, but um, just kind of looking more into Jordan Groshans, uh, you know, you're going to, what you're seeing is what you're getting with him. I do believe that he's, he's going to be a plus glove in the end at third base. Um, just simply because he used to be an athlete in high school and he was a primarily a shortstop, I believe, and then he trended off all the way to third or over to third base. Um, he's an average runner and, like, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a good athlete. Line and caught by Groshans. Almost took Groshans into left field. Was that a look what I found? One of those? Oh, it almost looked like it surprised him that he caught it. Watch this reaction. Uh, I do like his ability to hit. Um, you know, we talked about the ability just to make contact. He doesn't strike out overly much. Um, like we said, he has a 90% zone contact rate. And he has a league average chase at 30, which is like fine. Um, but I do like the underlying tools as a hitter. And I think it's, it's a good foundation to have. Um, 
But unfortunately, that's really where the positives end. They're, because they're, and the reason why Jordan never vaulted into the top 50 and let alone fell out of the top 100 of the prospect lists mm-hmm. is because he has no power. And that's really, the, he had an injury that sapped him of that before, like we talked about before 2020. And he's never really, even then, he wasn't much of a power hitter. And the, the, the Blue Jays were expecting with the first round pick, using it, that he would grow into it. Um, you know, kind of building on his frame, but it hasn't really worked out that way because he's not really. And the reason why is because you kind of you can your frame can only take you so far, but you need to work on your hips and your rotational athleticism, and that's not something that's true to his game. You know, like limbic flexibility is something that you're born with; it's genetic. Usually, um, there's not a there's not a whole lot of plyometrics you can do, and it's something you can improve on, but it's not. It, it's it's much easier to be born with. It. It's one of those things where you have a God given gift. There's nothing you can train to reach that same level. So, like, you know, like a guy like Jazz Chisholm, a guy like Jordan may never ever be the athlete that Jazz is, but he could work on it to be at least somewhat of it. Uh, I, I, I do see Jordan with the potential to hit 15 to 20 homers a year. But, right, he's not. He's never going to tear it up and hit 25, 30 or hit even more than that, just like you would kind of see some third baseman do. Uh, his game is going to be more predicated on contact defense than it is on power defense, like you see from a traditional third base profile. Uh, but I still think he's going to be at his peak, maybe a, also a two, and I think at a high end, maybe a three-win player. These guys aren't elite prospects by any stretch, but I think they're pieces of a playoff team, if surrounded by better top-quality talent, that you know they could be something special. And that's what Jordan Groshan fits as part of that young Miami Marlins core. And for Jordan, do you guys believe he has the capability to be um, a plus defender, um, to be someone on third base who maybe can be, a, I don't want to say a gold glove finalist, but uh, have plus defensive runs saved. Could that be something that maybe attracts the Marlins? Maybe, you know, the power is not there, but he's a plus defender? For me, I do believe he can be a positive output on, as a defender. Like, obviously, we have guys who won't be putting up any OAA, but I think with Groshans, he will be a positive value. I don't think he will be amongst your league leaders, and I don't think subsequently he will be a cold glove finalist at any point in his career. It could be wrong. Uh, you know, he could turn it around. He could predicate on that athletic ability and he could tap back into it and overcome the lower body injuries he's had that has really kind of sapped of his potential. But right now, even then, I still see him as, you know, maybe not a 60 glove, but, you know, an above average glove, I would say, because a 60 would be a plus, but I would say he's at least above average for the defensive. At least he has the potential to be. Um, yeah, a 50 easily, at, I yeah. think, at, the, at least right now at best. And, you know, Adam, I'm actually glad you made this point earlier. You were, you know, I, I had the thought it's sitting in my head, and you, I think you kind of just, like, telepathically stole it from me when you kind of <laughs> said that Groshans is what he is. He is essentially a role player on what can be a playoff team. And I think that kind of speaks to how the Marlins have kind of gone about developing position players as far as I – that. As far as I'm concerned, I mean, when you look at trades and just how they drafted, um, some of the other guys that we'll talk about, I think, fit that mold in that they don't have any superstars and that, you know, maybe they're just kind of throwing darts at the board in terms of these players to see who's going to stick. And whoever does stick, you can, you know, I think the smart thing to do and the way we see a lot of winning front offices go about it is they augment that roster with star-level talent via the free agent market. And, you know, I think Sherman can spend the money if he needs to. Um yeah, it's it's weird. You know, they say 2023 is like 22. They said 22 was a make or break year, and they broke in 22. And then now I feel like you could say the same thing again in 23. 
but you're going to get a better picture of the franchise's competitive direction moving forward with a full season of a guy like Roshans, with a full season of a guy like Fortes. I think they need the ability to play, especially under a first-year manager like Skip Schumacher. There's a lot that needs to be seen and done before, you know, you know, they'll, and I'm not saying that as a w- way to stray them from making any moves this offseason, but you need a better picture of who these guys are and how they fit into your franchise long-term, especially from pending free agents, like this deciding on whether or not they want to come here. If like winning is really that important to them, they want, they too want to have the security of knowing that maybe they'll play in the playoffs and compete for a world series. And I know, you know, that may be an overstated thing, but I think that matters to a lot of guys. I mean, the ultimate goal when you start playing baseball beyond financial security is to win a ring. And if some guys don't feel that because there's just a lot of questions surrounding the roster, you know, it could, it could stray them away, but, Again, they just need regular playing time to be fairly assessed. Yeah. And next off, let's move on to the next prospect, maybe the most polarizing in terms of for us on fish drives for Isaac, who, who's not here. But um, that's Mr. J.J. Blade, uh, the fourth um, overall pick just a few years ago in 2019, posted a negative war, a 0.5 baseball reference war in 2022. 65 games, 204 um, at-bats, five home runs, and for a slash line, 167, 277, 309 with a 586 OPS. Um, not what the Marlins envisioned when they drafted Mr. J.J. Day only three years ago coming out of Vanderbilt. Um, Lewis, uh, I'm just going to let you go off on Day, just what you saw from him, expectations, and if it – too early to put a tag of bust or if it just wait and see what Blade can do. I mean, I don't want to shut the lights off on the uh, optimism party that we're, we've kind of had with these last two guys, because there are good things to say about them. And there is good things to say about Blade too. I think, um, you know, I'll get to the uber cynical part near the end of my, not rant, but my, I guess my discourse on him. <laughs> I, I like Blade's ability to, draw walks and if anybody who watches us regularly and listens to me wants to call me walk guy that's fine or if you want to you know come up with a nickname that you know runs on that that's fine because i think that's an invaluable asset to a player position player skill set when it comes to working pitchers and getting on base and i think it makes you an overall better player if you have an advanced song to the strike zone now by the average walk rock eh, walk rate in the mlb which I believe is around 8.5%. J.J. Blade has that. He has a 12.6% walk rate, which can only offset so much when you're heading hitting 167. He was 79 in the 79th percentile in arm strength. I think he has the potential to be a, a serviceable corner outfielder. Um, he played a lot of right field at Vanderbilt, which is a baseball powerhouse, as we all know. Um but they had him a lot in center field because the Marlins and getting back to another issue the Marlins have is their lack of position player competency is they don't have a true center fielder. We saw them try to experiment with Jesus Sanchez. That didn't work. Um, we'll see what happens there. Fangraphs has him at like a 40 future value uh, as far as overall potential goes. That's a below average big leaguer on a 20 to 80 scouting scale. 80 is the max 20 is the lowest. 50 is literally in the, in the middle. Um, but if I had to feel optimistic about the guy, you know, there it's, 
it's difficult because ever since he's been in the pro ball, he his bat hasn't translated the way it did the last two years at Vanderbilt. And again, I know 65 games teeters the line between small sample size fodder and okay, maybe we're starting to get a better idea of who this guy is. But I don't think long-term he's going to be like... I mean, the, the, the player that I think of him maxing out his skill set is like a Michael Conforto, a good corner outfielder with 20 home run potential. That's what I've always kind of forecasted and wished for J.J. Blade. But when you look back at the 2019 draft, and know that the Marlins took him fourth overall. Guys, I'm going to give you some names. Give it to me. Before I get to Adam, of guys that were taken after J.J. Blade. Alec Manoa, local kid from awesome. Miami, was taken 11. Cy Young candidate, likely, in the American League. Corbin Carroll, one of the fastest, most exciting young outfielders in baseball. He's literally Tim LaCastro with a better bat. C.J. Abrams, who is going to play every day. The Marlins are going to see every day for a while as he's going to be the starting shortstop for the Nationals. Also, positional versatility and his ability to play the outfield. Um, Riley Green with the Tigers, who just yep. made his big league debut. And, I mean, George Kirby with the Mariners, who throws <laughs> like a nasty slider. So, like, there's a lot There's a lot the Marlins could have done better. And who knows what they're, you know, you know, you pin that on Gary Denbo. Was Derek Jeter infatuated with him? You can only you can only assume. You you can't be too certain. But I talked about Fortez and ability to hit with two strikes. Blade was worse, or he was slightly better, but still pretty bad. Four twenty three OPS with two strikes. You know, there's I, I I don't know. And the benefit to his early season struggles, and I am more confident that more seasoning may help him is the fact that he does have three minor league options left. So you can always start him in the minors. There's no pressure to start him in the big leagues. He, like I said, he has displayed an ability to, he's shown he could be a decent defender. Tyler Naquin came into the game to replace Ruff and diving play, J.J. Blade in center field to take a hit away from Tyler Naquin. Terrific defense in center field. In a corner, I don't think he's a bad option. I also think his ability to get on base, you know, to sound too much like Billy Bean, is a thing that, like I said, you cannot teach. Um, does he need to hit more to make that skill set stand out more to people? Absolutely. Um, do I think he will? Given the sub-700 OPS in the minors, I don't know. Just to start off with J.J. Blade, it's, it's really, it was frustrating to see the Marlins select him at number four in 2019. I mean, you had, like, obviously there were a couple guys that were picked ahead of him, but, and we can we can name all the guys that came after Lewis, and hindsight is 2020, but even, like, but this situation, I will give you that credence, because Blade, even myself, was not the guy I would have selected. You want to have the profile of you know young player with just tools and Blade does not have that he was a very good college bat but there's not much projectability to go after that um and we're seeing that because you know he has he is somewhat of he's a disciplined hitter but that's it like it, that's really where the selling point ends because there is no projectability really with his power because he doesn't make enough contact um he's really he's hitting a lot of balls under uh you know, 110 miles an hour, which would be the 
you know, an average really good max EV and he's just not hitting anything above what would be a 50. Um, and even in the minor leagues, like none of his uh, uh, minor league exit velos were anything promising uh, to the point where I really just believe he's going to be, if anything, a very casually average player if all goes well. And, you know, all like the casually average player being the two, the 1.5, the two win player is something you would like in a, you know, in a, any player that you would select who would make it to the majors. But if you've got a top three, top four pick, top five, man, it, it, this is not the profile you want to be selecting. And if you're going to be selecting a bat first outfielder, corner outfielder, he's got to be a killer hitter. He's got to be like a corner outfielder, corner outfielder has to be like Andrew Vaughn type, Spencer Torkelson. He's got to be a next like a generational bat in order for me to be safe um picking a guy who's really just going to be you know on the wrong end of the defensive spectrum and that's really what i do see with jj bladay lastly the the last player we have to talk about is mr charles leblanc uh can't forget about mr leblanc uh i believe he is the second of these four rookies to have a positive war bladay was negative groshen 0.0 not enough um Anything there, any stats there for him uh, to get, uh, I believe, in the positives or even negatives. But LeBlanc, 0.6 uh, war. He had played in 48 games, 169 uh, plate appearances, slash line 263, 320, 404, 4723 OPS. So not just one of the better rookies for the Marlins, but maybe better hitters that we've seen, even though he's played less than 50 games. Um, Lewis, what did you see from Blanc this season, this sample size, and has he earned uh, maybe a roster spot next season just in terms of his his ability to hit the baseball? So this may be a controversial opinion. I think maybe his future as a big leaguer is as a kind of like a utility infielder who can hit a little bit more than – the average utility infielder that we're accustomed to seeing. Although now, you know, with guys playing, uh, emphasizing playing multiple positions and organizations kind of wanting that as a thing for guys that they want to, you know, roster, um, it, you know, not sure how long his big league leash would be, but he'd be valuable in that regard because he hits for a little bit of power. I mean, he's got 10 to 15 homer power, but for a guy who, if he gets maybe 300 at-bats and he gives you that, you know, that's not bad. This one is in the air to left field. And LeBlanc goes deep. Home run for Charles LeBlanc. He was so far out on his front foot. He kept his hands back. Really nice piece of hitting. Nice job. 48 games. Obviously, you noted the sample. He was a slightly above average hitter by OPS Plus um, and WRC Plus. Uh, yeah, I mean, the arm strength is suboptimal, which is why I don't think he's a third baseman long-term. But if the Marlins were to somehow part ways with Birdie, if a team were looking for a role player and they came a call in for Birdie, if maybe the Mariners wanted to recreate Adam Frazier, but with a guy who is maybe slightly more productive and positionally versatile and better at multiple positions, then maybe they would give him a call. And relinquish LeBlanc to kind of be that team's everyday utility guy. I think he would maybe hit a little bit more than Birdie, but you'd be sacrificing some in the way of um, overall defensive ability, despite the fact that he is versatile. And, uh, yeah, just speed. Obviously, he's not a, he's not a burner. He's not going to steal a lot of bases. Yeah. But he's useful. And I don't mean that in, like, a very, like, condescending way. I think he has – he's – I think 
Charles LeBlanc is and has the potential to remain for the next couple of years a capable big league player. And again, um, there's many people in the world that can't say that who play baseball and love it. But LeBlanc, you know, has varying degrees of talent that I think can see him being of use to teams given his ability to, you know, he'll occasionally run into one. Um, you could put him at third base and not feel too concerned. Um, the one concern I do have beyond the suboptimal arm strength, and for those wondering, he was in the 18th percentile in arm strength. So, like, first base maybe makes sense, though he – I don't yeah. – like I said, I don't think he'll hit for the power to justify that. Uh, second base, again, I noted he's good at, but – defensively, but you have Jazz there, and Jazz defensively is better at second base. Jazz another guy who is a below-average thrower by arm strength metrics. The K rate, though, and Adam, I want you to um, – Yeah, I was about to bring that up. 31%. Mm-hmm. You know, guys like Joey Gallo, when he was at his best, hitting 40 homers and – back-to-back seasons, you could justify striking out 35 to 40% of the time. But striking out 30% of the time when the league average is around 22 23%, and you're heading for the power that you are, especially right now, you see on the screen right there, it's 141 isolated power. That's, like, not optimal, especially when your BABIP is approaching 400 at 374. Like, it's very seldom that you're going to – unless you're Babe Ruth in the, in the dead, in the, uh, at the tail end of the dead ball era – will you sustain a bad that high? It's just not sustainable. So I think there's maybe some regression there, but given the versatility and, like I said, the ability to hit for power, useful. But if you're striking out that much, there, you know, that's definitely where the concerns further present themselves. Yeah, I mean, I know Alex really likes Charles Charles LeBlanc, and I really hate to write on his parade here, but that's what I do here on Fish Stripes. But so <laughs> Charles Charles LeBlanc um, is very firmly like if like, I don't even see him as really a utility player, to be honest with you, because he just there's just like you mentioned there, Lewis, he's doesn't have the arm strength for me to really see him as a versatile player to play on the left side of the infield or the right side of the outfield, well, really right field. So, um, so. I just I don't see him having the defensive versatility. Like I said, um, at the plate, it's just it's even worse. Um, there's just nothing really to write home about with the ex woba being under 300, and really like it, which tells you that he's he was overperforming his what his expected outcome, and that he's likely to regress into in a, in a normal in a norm, in a normalized setting. So that point nine war that he put up Fangraphs for over the course of almost 50 games is somewhat of a farce, um, I'm sorry to say. And even then, like like I said, like in a normal setting, he would put up very, very like shoddy numbers. And it wouldn't even I don't think would warrant a uh, a utility role, like you mentioned, Lewis. I, that's the one thing I do deviate from you. I just don't even I, I think he's not even a major like a quality major leaguer in any form. Uh, you had guys like Roshans who, you know, on, on a like on a playoff caliber team, he's probably that utility guy. But for the Marlins, he's probably starting a third. LeBlanc, not even a major leaguer in my regard on the playoff team. Wow. He's a utility guy on the Marlins. And mm-hmm. it's just for me, it's just there's nothing there's not a whole lot to write home about. It's just you know, you got a 27-year-old. He will be starting. He will almost, he will be almost 27 when he starts next year. Um, there's just, there's just not really much for me. He's got that 7% walk rate, a 31% strikeout rate. Uh, 
he does make contact in the zone, but he's just miserably swinging and missing and not really picking out his pitch as well. It's just, it's, he doesn't, there's no feel at the plate like there is for a guy, like there is like Jordan Grouchons, which is why I like Grouchons and why I advocated it against Alex for him over the block to start next year at third. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's like, and I also, you know, Grouchons also had a sub 300 X Foba, but there is safer, like I said, there's like safer tools with Grouchons as a hitter than there is with the block. And ultimately, the reason why. Groshans is a prospect and why LeBlanc was a non-prospect. Um, you know, we see this kind of crap happen all the time with guys. They'll come up and they'll, like, they'll, they'll like, they'll, I mean, no, I don't mean in a bad way. I'm just Going like, they'll, they'll, I mean, no, no, no. It's like, they'll, they'll like bad, like, no, yeah, but they'll bad hip their way. Kind of like DLC did last year in September to a high average. And then, you know, obviously DLC went off this year in September. We'll see what happens next year, but they'll bad hip their way high. And then, you know, the next year they'll come in and they kind of suck. And this, that's what happened with DLC for the majority of the year. Um, so that's, I mean, unfortunately, I just, I really just don't see, I'm not too optimistic about Charles LeBlanc, like I am, guys like Blade, guys like Groshaus, like we've talked about, um, that's just kind of the reality of the situation, I, I, I want to be as honest as possible with that, I do not see Charles LeBlanc as a major leaguer for much longer, I just think, unless something crazy drastic happens. Like They're just not huge service. believers in Charles LeBlanc, I don't know what else to tell you. Yep. <laughs> As Mish coming in for for those couple seconds there, um, to just before to wrap it up, I'm talking about these four rookie hitters for the Marlins for this season. Um, I want to ask you guys just really quickly: How would you grade these four players for the Marlins overall? How how would you grade these rookie hitters? Would you say if they be a C for in total for those four guys for the Marlins rookie hitters this season? Is it B? How would you grade Marlins um, bats this season? Let's start with Adam. Um, all the bats or just the rookies? Uh, just the rookie guys. Maybe yeah. the guys we, we talked about today. Uh, shoot, man. I mean, I guess Le, like LeBlanc uh, gave some, you know, he did produce ultimately, so we'll give him credit there. And Groshans was okay. Um, but they really was unfortunate. And I think there isn't a whole lot to look forward to. And even then this year, they were pretty disappointing with the time that they had. I'd give him probably a C minus, uh, Daniel, just because, you know, I'll give him, it wasn't a complete wash for all of them, but it, it really, really wasn't good at all. And it was probably just the tick above or the notch and level above just awful. And it was, and it was like really just almost scratching that. And I don't know. I'll, I'll leave Lewis up to, to give his grade, but I'm in that near failing range. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not any more optimistic. I mean, I think in the A to F scale, C <laughs> could definitely be considered average. And I think with the potential of Groshans, like I said, his advanced plate discipline and the ability to um, draw walks, and I think his bat his batted ball profile says he'll be a better hitter. I like Fortes, obviously, from what we talked about earlier. Uh, I'll I'll be a little bit more generous, but not that much more. I'm going to go C because I think he is. You know, I think that some of these guys have a chance to be productive. I mean, if you're assessing future value, LeBlanc is no higher than a 40, but most of those guys are who tend to become utility infielders, though there are, like I said, there are issues there. I said he's not the best arm and he's not the best third baseman, mm -hmm. but he makes up for it in ways, you know, playing second base and the cameo he's had at first base. And, you know, he was an outfielder at times in the minors, so – we could see that, you know, him playing some left field if he has to. Um, so, yeah, uh, but I'd give it a C. I, I think there's definitely holes with all these guys, some more than others. Um, Adam, one more point on LeBlanc. His best hitter comp, according to um, StatCast data, on the batted ball profile, 
Martin Maldonado. Um, <laughs> not the most confident thing. That's added ball profile, and that's expected stats taken into account. So things can only go up, right? Or you can be Jeff Mathis. But, you know, <laughs> there ain't much else to say about that, though. And I think with that is the perfect time with Jeff Mathis, Marlins Hall of Famer, Marlins legend, um, to end it off here for Fishology Episode 3. I am Daniel for Adam for Lewis. We have Eli behind the scenes. We'll catch you up next time. And always, go fish. <laughs>